0: Okay, if you would, please turn to the book of Galatians. I turned it down there, baby. Galatians chapter 5, the text is verse 6, but I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 6. Galatians 5, 1 through 6. For freedom Christ has set us free. you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through Blessed is the reading of God's holy, eternal, predestined Word to us from the foundation of the world. Father, may we see, may we get, may we hear what the Spirit says through the Apostle Paul in these words. And thus, leave this property today happy, thrilled, anticipatory of every day living with You and trusting Your Word. And so to that end, help me unfold it as clearly as I can by Your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. The big question that I want hanging over each of us this morning as we go to this text is to be asking yourself this question, by what principle do I live my daily life as a Christian? What is the engine that drives me and what do I do? Last week, We looked at verses 1 to 5, and let me just summarize. What we saw was that becoming a Christian is being set free by Christ. The Spirit applying it to us. And we saw last week, the reason He set us free is so that we would live in that freedom of faith. That's it. That is the goal of the cross. That's the goal of Christianity. That is not a means to some other end. In other words, Christian, you're called every day to enjoy the freedom of trusting who God is for you in Jesus Christ. That's freedom. At its core, it is to enjoy God. And down here with our sinful nature, we say it this way now, but not for all eternity. We long for the consummation of our salvation when we will be rid of all temptation, all God-belittling desires that never allow us to fully experience the freedom that God would be for us. One day, we will. That is the freedom for which Christ has set us free. Enjoy God. All right, good. So now I want hope your mind's going okay. That brings up a huge question then. If that is the goal of why God has saved me, does that mean that He doesn't call us to do other things down here? I'm enjoying God and I do zero good works. Am I good? Okay. The, 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 if that's the end, the goal, there's nothing, it's not a means to something else. Does that mean he does not call us to make disciples? That he does not call us to preach? And share the gospel, and to counsel, and to love others, to help the weak, to do justice, to invest our hard earned money in gospel ministry to reach lost and dying souls on earth. Does that mean we don't do that? It doesn't mean that at all. God's goal, which is Himself, is the goal that He has made through Christ. Is that the extension of all of those horizontal good works down here on earth would be springing from, not an addition to, springing from living in the freedom of who God is for you in Jesus Christ? And that's huge. I just hope you see it. Sometimes I talk to Christians and I think, well, what's the difference? As long as, as long as I tithe, as long as I do this good work, as long as I go to church, who cares why I do it? God does. He really cares. And that's what this whole book is about. Galatians. He, he cares. So there's all kinds of actions that seem self-sacrificial. I mean, you just think about Uh, those of you who have retirement funds that you contribute hard-earned money to. You could have Disneyland passes every year and more. Or you could do this. You could have a better vacation, but you decide, I take all that hard-earned money every month and I put it towards the future in a retirement fund. Why do you do it? Because you serve the retirement fund and you're a good worker? No, you do it because there's a, there's a hope, uh, there's a faith, I mean, that the market won't crash if it's invested in stocks, it's, but, but there's this reasonable trust that when I get to the age I can't work anymore and support myself, I don't want to be eating cat food, so that motivates your action of delayed gratification and putting it away you store up. You got that principle. Worldly, very simple. Jesus always got that stuff. That's why then He said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And if we don't, it just points to one thing, like the retirement fund. We don't have trust in those words that He means it. Motivation of why one takes and invests is huge. So, if you're there in Galatians 5, I want you to notice as we come to verse 6, that verse 6 begins with the word for, meaning this is a ground, it's a reason, it's a foundation for what He just said in verse 5. So I want to read verse 1 and then jump to verse 5 and get the flow as we move to verse 6. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait For the hope of future righteousness. Okay, there it is. Ongoing day by day looking to the future. Then verse 6 comes in to show that works of faith, that is, loving other people, obedience to God's commands to love, are not tacked on to the freedom of grace or the freedom of faith. But they are the fruit of it. And there's a huge difference. So he says, and what I'm going to do, I'm just going to bring out the meaning of the text in its original without spending much time. You can ask me later why. He says, For, or because, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything from God. But, and now you supply what he just said, that's what the writer means to do, It's what Paul means to do. But, the opposite, what counts for everything, including justification and future salvation? What counts for everything is faith. Which works itself out in loving others. Loving actions. In other words, faith is only thing that counts. In other words, what faith, Paul? The faith that does work itself out in loving other people. That's what he says. An acorn works itself out when it's planted into an oak tree. It doesn't add an oak tree to it. The oak tree's in the acorn. The love for others and the obedience to God is in the faith that saves. So what I want to do is consider these two main questions this morning. The first is, why is... Faith which produces loving actions, why is that really, really different than works of the law? That's the first question. And then we'll ask the second question, and that is why is it that this faith necessarily produces love, loving actions? So, to the first question. Why is Paul? He's been against works of the law all along, and now he says the only thing that matters is faith, which works itself out in loving actions. Or if you just want to open up God's law, the whole law he will go on to say in this chapter is fulfilled when you love others. Okay, why are those? Were they so different? Well, the reason is, at its core, works of the law has to do with the motivation. Works of the law is human, creaturely arrogance. And therefore, when it springs and has the fruit of actions, those actions are in and of themselves sinful. But on the other hand, faith which works, its motivation, faith by definition, is that which receives God's grace. It receives God's gifts. And it works itself out. And therefore, that honors God. It glorifies God. That's what Paul's getting at here in verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor... Oh, okay, I'm going to go that way. I'm going to do uncircumcision as if this is going to get something from God because I did that. He says it doesn't count for a hill of beans. But what does count for all the beings in the universe, eternal life, is faith, which works itself out in love. You see, the point is this works of the law that Paul has been coming against at their core, those are the things that a person does religiously and then they're offered to God for God to respond with blessing and Paul says you get nothing it counts for nothing but on the other hand genuine saving faith in the believer which does produce works of love it allows God to serve us and that's why it moves that's why the person is moving God promises, I want what He can be and do for me, I act. That's faith. Now, if you think, Joe, you're just too overly nitpicky about the motivation of the Christian life, of obedience, of whether we respond to God like we saw last week, we'll see again, like I'm an employee and God's the employer and therefore I do work because He commanded me. As opposed to, no, I am not an employee of God. He is the great provider. He's the patron provider. He's the physician that I need. Tell me how to have eternal life and live forever and I will walk That motivation is so different. If you think I'm overly nitpicky about that, I think you need to take it up with the Apostle Paul. Particularly in Romans 4. Turn there. Romans 4, verses 4 to 5. I'll read slowly. Paul writes. I love the sound of paper instead of clicking. That was awesome. Okay. Paul writes, no offense, Bob. <laughs> Paul writes, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness or justification. So notice again there in verse 4 that to live by works here in this context... It means to have the mindset of an employee. And thus, God is the employer. You work, He owes you a paycheck. You earned it. It's called wages. When you do what He needs, then He doesn't give you grace. He gives you what He's obligated to. He owes you wages. You See that? That right there is the works of the law, or the, we use our English term, the legalism that Paul has been condemning all along. That is the legalism that Paul, we saw last week, in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 5, severs a person from Christ, the Savior, cuts them off from grace, makes Christ cross, it will benefit you. Not at all. See it? Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift. That's literally the word grace in the Greek. They're not counted as grace, but as his due. He's owed it. Then in verse 5, Paul then says, on the other hand, Faith means you stop thinking of yourself as an employee. That's what he said. You stop working for God in this sense. It's right there. To the one who adds faith to their works he didn't say that to the one who does not work faith is not added to works to make it precious to God and make, make you in, in, inside of grace and nor are works to be added to faith faith excludes works the works that he's talking about here because it has a totally different mindset than those works so faith doesn't pick them up see if you live by these kinds of works in Romans 4 or in Galatians Paul's clear you jeopardize salvation you go ahead Galatians and obey this motivation that will therefore be the cause of your justification, you see yourself as an employee, Christ will be of no benefit to you. You are severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by this, that, or the other work, or the not working and doing that I do not do, I do not do, I do not do. You see, here's the point. Romans 5 1, having therefore been justified by faith alone, yes, okay. you don't therefore then go and say, now that I'm justified by faith, now I will pick up the works that Paul is talking about in chapter 4. No, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is, you've been justified by faith, go on not working for God as an employee, ever. Don't produce those. Christian, I beg you to continue. Have you come to faith in Jesus? His grace of eternal life is a gift and it's yours because of faith alone. Go on not working. Don't ever pick up these words. That's what Paul is saying in Romans 4, 4-5. to See, God is not an employer. He doesn't need anything from anybody ever by definition. That's what Paul was getting at when he said in Acts to the elders and the pastors, nor is God served by human hands as if He needed anything. For He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And that's why works of the law, the mindset of an employee is abhorrent to the one true holy God. And it is the expression of human sin. See, works of the law say, I overcome. Faith says, God is supplying everything I need. Works of the law glorify themselves. I'm great. I got circumcised. I tithe. I did this. I go to church. It glorifies itself. You remember Jesus' parable. There's a Pharisee and a In the mind of the Pharisee, a scumbag, sinner, tax collector in the temple. And Jesus says, the Pharisee says, God, I do this, that, and the other thing. (laughs) Oh, compared to that guy, I thank God I'm not like that tax collector. And then Jesus says, the tax collector says, Have mercy on me. And Jesus says, you want to know which one's saved? The tax collector. He's the one who went away justified. He came with his hands empty. I need you to give to me, God. Mercy. The Pharisee came, look what I have done, I offer to you. Works of the law mentality sees itself as the emergency room surgeon saving the life of a dying patient. That's how it sees it. Faith knows that it is the dying patient every day in need of God, the emergency room surgeon. And when the surgeon performs the surgery and saves the life, who gets the glory? Exactly. And that's why works of the law sinful at its core but faith if God's a surgeon who gets the glory the surgeon God so both of these attitudes works of the law or saving faith attitude they operate in religion all the time they operate in the in within Christendom within churches see the works of the law mentality it loves religious and moral challenges of social improvement and, and even of its own personal self-control and betterment and I don't want to be like that, this, that would be a bad thing, a good person as far as it goes and I overcome particular kinds of lifestyles. law loves that stuff. And then it presents it to God Is yes, here's my triumph. Here's so how thankful I am, God, for, for Jesus. So I'm thanking you by doing these things. Faith also loves challenges. It loves the challenge of the Spirit of God overcoming our fleshly sinful. Desires. Faith loves God's law. It loves right and hates wrong. It loves morality. It loves justice. But only as a dependent child who can do nothing apart from the grace Of God providing everything. Faith loves God's directions. In other words, His Word. It loves God's self-revelation. It loves and clings to God's promises of the future. That's at the core of saving. See, that's why Paul writes. Let me just, just, just hear from the Scripture. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1. Just hear it. So that no man, no person, should boast before God. Let him who boast boast in the Lord. That's it. And that's what faith does. He says in 1 Corinthians 4. Corinthians. You've gone nuts? What in the world do you have that you did not receive as a gift? And if you did receive it, then why do you boast? As if you did not receive it, but somehow you're special and you're better than the other person. Paul cares about. That little razor edge. But don't fall on this side of the wall. Be on this side. He cares deeply about it. That's why He says again in Second Corinthians 10, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And you know Paul's story in Second Corinthians 12, right? Oh, I got it. God showed me why these struggles. Because Paul, Jesus lets him know, you're still sinful You're not glorified yet. I am using you in a special way. And therefore, you are so susceptible to arrogance and pride and boastfulness. And therefore, that's why I'm allowing Satan, my lackey, to buffet you. And then Paul says, I get it. Because when I am weak, then he is strong. That's the essence of faith. Paul writes in Romans For Abraham, our example, did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in his faith, giving glory to God by that faith. And in Galatians, he started off this letter knowing exactly what he's coming against. That's why he says this in the introduction to God, Jesus Christ To whom be the glory forever. Because he ends this letter in chapter 6, verse 13. These Judaizers are giving you their teaching, trying to persuade you to be circumcised and take on kosher diet, so that they may boast in your flesh. If you live by works of the law, the mindset of an employee, and that's your life before God, you are under a curse. The curse of the law, Paul says. And then don't make this other mistake that people make all the time. Oh yeah, that's right. Grace means has nothing to do with what we do, and, and, and there's a part that's so true right there. And then he said, "Therefore, the Christian life means it doesn't matter how I live and respond to God's word. It's called antinomianism, and it's been rampant for 2,000 years, and it's here today. If you practice antinomianism, I just live according to the flesh, and whether there are, whether there is faith which works yourself out in loving other people is irrelevant, you are under a curse. The curse of the law proving you're outside of Christ. But he says in Galatians 5.6 The love flowing out of, the obedience to God's commands flowing out of the nature of what true saving faith is. You belong to Christ. You're justified. Heaven is secured for you. That's the first question. That's the difference. One is a heart that looks to God to provide all it needs. It has zero to give to God. Works of the law says, I give and therefore I get the glory. That's why they're so different. To the second question. Why is it therefore that that faith necessarily produces loving actions from a loving heart. Or to say it differently, but the same thing. Why is it that our joy in Jesus, our joy in Christ and all His promises inevitably are producing fruit, the fruit of love for others? For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but what does count for everything is faith working itself out through love. Look down at verse 6 again. Got to get it. Notice, it is not two things. Faith and works of love Not what he said. It's one thing. We are saved by the means of one thing. Faith. What he's saying is, that faith by its nature, like an acorn, that faith produces love. Just like an apple tree produces apples. If you don't have apples ever, you're not an apple tree. Just as Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. Now, that's Galatians 5.6. Just stay there in Galatians 5 now. Because I want us to get a feel. Okay, Paul, help us Christians. Okay, we're all going to wake up and do a life throughout this week. Help us, okay, to get a feel of how does this Christian life work then. I want you to jump down for a few moments to verses 13 to 16 in Galatians 5. And see how Paul here now, watch. He brings in the Holy Spirit. See how he understands the work of the Holy Spirit, producing faith, working itself out in love. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now verse 16. But I say, walk... By the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The key to all of this is walking by the Holy Spirit. Walking by the influence of God the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. See, he then says in verse 22, jump down, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. It means love for others here. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. So love, he says, here is the fruit of the Spirit. So what's Paul doing? He's making it clear that the Holy Spirit is the one who produces ultimately genuine acts of love that flow from the heart. The Holy Spirit's doing it. God glorifying obedience to the love commands is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Now, the question is how. Does that work? How is it that the Holy Spirit causes the fruit of love to flow? Should we just say, who cares? Dogs bark. That's their nature. Birds fly. That's what they do. Who's asking? Who cares? Why? Worms burrow through dirt. God cares. Paul cares, therefore. So that's the question. How is it happening? What is this Holy Spirit producing in us that causes obedience to the love commands? Paul's answer in the context is he's producing faith. Faith. From faith to faith to faith. He's saying... Horizontal love, interactions on earth, what we do with our time, our treasure, and our talent, it's, and, and from a heart, he's saying that flows from vertical worship, delight, drinking in by the Holy Spirit. That's what he says. Remember, faith... Because that's what he's producing in this context is the opposite of meritorious, self-sufficient, arrogant works of the law. But instead, this faith is the ongoing trust that connects us to God the Father, to God the Son, and to God the Holy Spirit. It is that trust that keeps us content and filled with joy. Notice, Paul says, this faith, faith that justifies, this faith that consists of everything, that counts for everything, I mean, is the faith that works itself out in love. Genuine faith is proving that it is real. It's proving its reality that it exists in that person, this person, or the other person by the love it has for others. So all the works of love. Love your neighbor. Jesus summarized it pretty well. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. Love your neighbor as you would be. Loved, and for the most part, I don't know if I'm missing something. We have time, very limited, finite amount of time. We have money, treasure, goods, and we have giftings or talents or abilities. I don't. I don't what's outside of that? And so we take of our time, our money, and our treasure in the service of love for others. See the apple. And when you see that in our lives, the apple on the branch, it does not produce the tree. It doesn't create the apple tree of salvation. The tree of salvation produces the apples of faith working itself out in love. This Holy Spirit working in us, producing faith, which is producing loving actions, was already laid out. Now when you look there, turn a page back, chapter 3, verses 2 to 5. Paul there has already brought together the work of the Holy Spirit and our disposition of faith or trust. In verse two, he writes, "Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith?" Okay, this is what you need to do when you come across rhetorical questions in the Bible. When you're sitting alone, prayerfully, try to restate it in the indicative mood without a question. Make a proposition because that's if it's rhetorical, Paul's making a statement. He's not. So what's he saying? He's saying, don't you get it guys? The Holy Spirit fell. You received the Spirit not by this attitude of an employee or works of the law, but by hearing. Hearing with a heart of faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh again rhetorical question don't be foolish you began by the spirit you don't jump to another track called the flesh let me do for God don't do it verse 5 does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you presently and ongoingly here now does he do so by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith The rhetorical question. Guys, ladies, He who is supplying the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life does not do it in response to your works of the law, but He does it in response to your hearing with faith. See that? Paul shows how faith and the Holy Spirit fit together. The Christian life, it is to be lived every day in the exact same way it began. By the same initial spring from new birth, faith came alive is the way you go on living every day. You do not mature in Christianity by saying, I'm moving on now. I'm growing up. So I'm going to move away from childlike dependence on the Holy Spirit and I'm going to move to my own flesh. That's how he puts it. You do not mature by saying, childlike faith I've grown up now, now I'm moving over to works of the law. Walking by the person, the indwelling and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, by His influence in our lives daily, is to be walking by faith. It is to be walking by, let me say the same word faith with a different English word, trust. Trusting God's directions. Trusting his self-revelation. And trusting his promises for you, for your good. That's Walking by the Spirit. So, here's the practical question then. What do we Christians do? What do we do tomorrow morning, this afternoon, next month, as we wake up every day and have to face life, face our own flesh, our own Sin, temptation, and opportunities to love or bypass them. What do we Christians do to be more loving? Because you never arrive to perfection down here. The question is, is there any fruit that's genuine and real points to the genuine tree? Okay. You don't get the perfection. Till Jesus returns. So what do we do when we seek God? I want to be more loving. I want to be more giving. I want to be more sensitive. I want to to follow your directions to love my neighbor as myself. What do we do in order to do that as grace-saturated people who are already justified by faith? The answer, according to Paul, is we are desperate every day to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The answer is we need the Holy Spirit to continue to produce through and in us more and more of the fruit of the Spirit. That's what He says in chapter 3, verse 5. Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does He do this by your works of the law? Or does He do it by your hearing with trust, faith? That's His answer. What do you do? You trust you absorb you drink in and believe God's word and his promises to you every day it's what you do as you are listening with ears that hear if you have ears to hear remember Jesus' word let him who has ears to hear hear as ears of the heart of faith as you hear, which means a response of faith, the Holy Spirit is being supplied. That's why you're hearing with a heart of faith. The point is that the Christian life, the daily fight of faith, which overflows in loving, good works. It involves hearing. Hearing something that can be trusted in, that can be believed, that that we can be changed by from one degree of glory to another, Paul puts it in. Second Corinthians. And that's why Galatians five six says to every Christian, What matters today is faith, is trust in what you hear. That faith, in other words, which is working itself out in loving. I can see we got time. So I'm going to do it again in 30 seconds. I'm not done in 30 seconds, but I just want to say here's the flow. Here's the practical flow. How do we live our life? I want to walk in more love this week. How? Answer Have the Holy Spirit fill you with the fruit of love. Okay. Go for it. No, how? How do I do that? By walking. In faith. Faith in what? Paul says, in hearing. Hearing. Which means there's a message. Which means there are teachings that we are to hear and pay very close attention to, and we are to desire, and then we are to depend on, and rest in, and trust in, and that is, at its core, boiled down, the Bible. The Word of God, from Genesis to Revelation, which is chock full of His self-revelation, chock full of the way of salvation, and chock full of promises and commandments for His Children, You hear and trust. It's that simple. But not simplistic. The Christian walk is the word permeating your soul to overcome the anti-Bible of your flesh. You need to feed your soul. Much more of the Word than you feed your flesh the world. Or you'll lose. Now, one more question before we close it. Why is it this way? Why did God create the world and do salvation in this way? Why does God bring about obedience In his children's lives, the obedience of loving others through their faith or trust in him by the Spirit. Why does God want our acts? of church-going, loving, giving an ear, time, our tithing, our mere evangelism, and on and on. Why does He want that to be the conscious expression of our vertical relationship of trust? Because God's ultimate purpose in everything He does is to glorify Himself, through Jesus Christ. And if God were to say, you have the Spirit, so now... Dogs have dogness of barking. They bark and birds have wings and they fly and worms they burrow. It's innate within them. So you're Christian, don't worry about why you do it. You just kind of do the Christian life. Don't even worry about what to practically do. Then God would fail to glorify Himself as fully as He ought. Because if the works of love, of giving, of serving, of evangelizing, laying down your life on a cross to follow Christ in the service of others, if that is not clearly flowing because I trust Him, I do that because He is everything, then... Those acts would not have that causal effect that God wants to point to how much of a glorious treasure He is to those who are His. And that's why when the Spirit is doing this, causing the faith, Jesus says, they will see your good works and glorify your who's in heaven even though some of those good works look exactly like your secular neighbor but they're not calm down that's why because it would not be clear if it were not by faith that the Holy Spirit through the word and the promises of producing it would not be clear that Christ and God and the Scripture is the ultimate source of the good deeds. All of the manifestations of the normal Christian life. In other words, why we go to church? You can be out there shopping right now. Why we do whatever we do as Christians and because we're Christians, why we open up the Word and we delve into His Word and want to know it, why we sing in community, why we pray in community and alone, why we serve, why we tithe, why we evangelize, why we repent, why we fight our natural fleshly desires that are sinful, why we press on, all of it is flowing from a vertical response to God speaking in His Word, and say, Who else has the words of life? All of this, the Christian life, is the fruit of your trusting in Jesus Christ. That trust works itself out daily with differing struggles. One of you is struggling with this this week and the other person isn't. They have a different struggle. There's some words from God that therefore they need to go to that may be different to this particular week to say, I need to know this and meditate on this and trust this word. This is the ongoing Christian life. To fight the constant, Paul calls it the flesh, or sinful nature, that bring our hearts into particular states of unbelief in God. I can't do that, God. I can't do that because this, that, and the other will happen. I can't, I can't obey your word here. My whole life would fall apart if I obeyed you here. Tell that to martyrs when you get there. That's why they were martyrs. If I obey you, I will lose my life. But I am more than this life. And they believed. Okay, so then all of our stuff, at least at this point, is much less than that. So, I'm going to just give a couple. I know it's, I see the time. We're still under an hour. I want you to just see what I've tried to say now for the last 55 minutes. To see this is how the New Testament lays out the life of a Christian. First, in Romans 4, I'm going to read from Romans 4 for a minute. Paul's teaching the same thing. And he uses our main model of faith Abraham the father of our faith as the example to Christians Romans 4 I'm just going to pick up with verse 18 Paul writes in hope it's future oriented in hope he Abraham believed that's the verb form of faith he believed against hope in other words natural human hope There's no way. But God spoke. In hope, he believed, God's promise, against hope. That what? That he should become the father of many nations as he had been told by God. This. Abraham, like the stars, so shall your offspring be. And therefore what? Abraham did not... Weakened in faith. When he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about hundred years old. He, He saw it, he didn't deny it. It's impossible without God. But he did not weaken in faith in God. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb from the time she was a teenager. No distrust made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God. But instead, he grew strong in his faith. And this is how it should go. Thus, he gave by that glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what He had promised. See, that's why His faith was counted to Him is justification, righteousness. And so, we come to Hebrews, for instance, 13.6. And it feels like your whole world financially is falling apart. I cannot trust You, God, to give the first fruits of my livelihood. And love of money starts to gain the ascendancy. And the writer says in 13 verse 5, this is just working out what I tried to teach. Here it is. Here's the command. It comes to us. Keep your life free from the love, worship, of money. and be content with what you don't have. OK? Well, that's what he means. OK, and what you have. Now, that's not the Christian life to stop there. It's not how the Bible works. The command comes. Now, watch what he does Do this for, meaning because, He has said. Here comes the promise now I will never leave you nor forsake you. Okay. Now, as we walk and we all sin. What path are we on? Fighting the fight of faith to trust. This is how it works. And repentance comes. What happens when, when the love of money in my heart gains the ascendancy and distracts me, and it says, "I just no, I just I'm going to continue to be discontented in my feelings, in my emotions, and it's going to move me and drive me to do stupid things." Then what I am showing at those moments is. Oh God, where you say right here, I will never leave you or forsake you. I don't trust you right now. That's what it is again and it's not simplistic. But it's simple. That's it. He says, "No, no, no. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have." For he has said, "I will never leave you nor forsake you." And so therefore, Christian, we can confidently say, "The Lord is my helper." I will not fear. What can man do to me? Jesus is right. He's saying, seek ye first His kingdom, His righteousness, and all these other things that are so naturally as a human being in a fallen state to be distracted by. Just just trust Him. He's got this. Go on doing His work. A spouse betrays you. A friend sticks a knife in your back. A business partner steals hundreds of thousands of dollars through legal manipulation from you. And you're a Christian. And you're to forgive if they ask for it, and you're not to hold a grudge even if they don't. Because the command that comes to you in Romans 12:19, "Christian, never avenge yourself." And you think, "But well, you've got to be kidding me. I can barely sleep for three months. I cry every day. What are you talking about? He's not done. Never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, okay, here comes the promise, vengeance is mine. I will repay. The power, to let vengeance go in a Christian is the trust. No right will be not done. No wrong will be left wrong forever. God has promised all will be judged judiciously in Christ. To that person's salvation, I would be happy. Or outside of Christ in God's eternal wrath. Again, it appeals as we fight to forgive. Do I trust you, Father? And that's a fight. And that's a battle. And we feed our hearts and our souls. And so, go on, Sovereign Grace, living out the life of saving faith that you began by. And you continue by it. By Him, the Spirit, producing within you faith which comes by reading and hearing and reading and hearing from one degree of faith to another. Because the only thing that matters for your life, really, the only thing is what Galatians 5-6 says matters most. For neither circumcision, nor uncircumcision count for anything. But what counts for everything for your life and your eternity is faith. Working itself out in love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your massively as Paul put, unimaginable future promises that are beyond comprehension now in every promise that is even temporal and less than that. That you have secured them for sinners like us through your Son. For in Jesus, all your promises are yes. And amen. Amen.